What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. past few weeks, we've been looking at our section in the uh, book of Exodus on the Ten Commandments, and we noted that you know these Ten Commandments really focus on two main relationships. The first four commandments focus on our relationship with God, and so if you want to have a good relationship with God, you got to make sure that you have no other gods in your life, that you don't make for yourselves a, a carved image of anything to worship, that you don't take God's name in vain, that you remember the Sabbath day uh, as a time of rest and also as a time just to uh, worship the Lord. And, you know, all four of these commandments, you know, that they focus on that relationship with the Lord. And, you know, when we hinder, uh, when we stop doing those, it hinders our relationship with God. And, and the next six commandments focus on our relationship with others. Uh, so far, we've looked at the fifth the sixth and the seventh commandment that focus on our relationship with others. So if you want to have a good relationship with other people, these are things that you need to do. First, honor your father and mother. Second, don't murder, not only through an outward action, but also a heart issue. Don't be angry. Don't you know desire someone to be dead through hatred. And third, do not commit adultery. Uh, this is not just an outward thing, but also, as Jesus says, if you lust for someone in your heart, uh, you've committed adultery with them in your heart. So those are the commandments that we've covered so far with our relationship with God, the first four, the next three in our relationship with others. And tonight we're going to finish the Ten Commandments by looking at the final three commandments that focus on our relationship with others. And so let's pick up where we left off last week. Now we're going to start the Eighth Commandment in verse 15, which says this, You shall not steal. So the eighth commandment that we're given here by God is that we shall not steal. Stealing is taking something that's not yours or not giving something that you should. Usually when we think of stealing, we really just kind of think of taking something that's not ours and, you know, someone's personal money, someone's personal possessions. You could also take something from corporations by not paying for their products or downloading things that are illegal. You know, basically just taking something that doesn't belong to us. And God says that that's stealing. That's something that you and I as believers in Christ should not do. But something that we don't always associate with stealing is not giving something that you should. And I think maybe this is the area where more Christians are guilty of stealing. For example, not giving what you owe the government in taxes. Uh, there are many Christians who try to build the case of, well, you know, the government's corrupt and they do sinful things and they make sinful choices. And so it's okay that I don't give them the taxes that are due to them. Well, when you don't do that, it's considered stealing in the eyes of God. That's not something you should do. Another example is in the workplace. 
You know, when you get a job, you typically sign a contract, a contract that says, I'm going to work this amount of hours for this amount of pay. And so the employer is expecting that of you. You know, you're going to work 40 or 50 hours or whatever it may be. And we steal from that employer when we don't do that. You know, when we call in sick and we're not, when we're at work and we're doing our own business on our own phone during company time, you know, these are ways that we steal from the employer and break that contract that we ultimately made of what we would do. Uh, and, you know, all of that stealing. But you know what? You don't just steal from people. You don't just steal from corporations. There's actually someone much more significant that each one of us as believers in Christ are guilty of stealing from, and that is God himself. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, God speaking to the nation of Israel says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. Here God says, for one way, how has the nation of Israel robbed him? How have they stolen from him? God says, you've stolen from me. Why? Because you haven't given me the tithes and the offerings that I've commanded you to give. You've kept back from me that which you should have been giving to me. And so therefore you are stealing from me. But what we need to understand, and I think this is probably one of the most difficult things, especially for us Christians who live you know, here in America, is that we are just stewards. God's the master. Everything that we are, our lives, our body, our time, our talents, our treasures, our, you know, everything that we have, ultimately it belongs to God. He's the one who has true authority. We are just stewards. And we should be good stewards where we're using our life, we're using our talents, we're using our time, we're using our money and resources for the glory of God. But the problem that we have here in America with our kind of like, I'm the authority mindset and it's all about me, is it's difficult for us to see ourselves as stewards. We see ourselves as masters. You know, this is my money. I've earned it. I worked hard for it. This is my time. This is my life. I'll do with it as I please. Instead of seeing it from a biblical perspective, it's no, it's God's. And so I rob God when I don't give him the time that I should. I rob God when I don't use my money and resources, which are ultimately his. I rob God when I don't use my talents for his Glory, And so there's a lot of ways that we steal from God by not giving to him what is due to him. And so we need to recognize that stealing is not just taking from others their possessions or their things or taking from corporations. It's also not giving what you should. And in either way, God's commandment of you shall not steal is something that falls under that category. And so if you're thinking right now, man, I'm guilty in this area or I'm guilty in that area of stealing, well, don't leave here tonight without asking God to help you change. That this would be something that we wouldn't continue in. So that eighth commandment, something that all of us, I'm sure, have been guilty of and maybe presently are, you shall not steal. The ninth commandment is in verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The ninth commandment here, we shall not bear false witness, is a difficult one for us as Christians. 
The translation bear false witness comes from three Hebrew words, which means to speak, answer, and testify with a lie, deception, or falsehood. So this commandment is clearly saying we shouldn't lie. We shouldn't deceive. We shouldn't speak false things about anyone or anything. You know, of all these commandments, when you look at, you know, where Christians fare with these, how well they keep them or not, this is probably the one that for most they struggle greatly with. You know, if you look at the list of all of these, you know, I don't think too many Christians, I guess if you're talking about murder of the heart, you could include it. But, you know, murder, adultery, you know, even, you know, a lot of the theft and stuff, you know, those aren't ones that are high on the list of things that we're committing. But this one here, in my experience as a pastor, this is one that is, you know, one that a lot of people struggle with. And I, and I want you to kind of think of what kind of comes under this umbrella of lying, because just to say you shouldn't lie. OK, yeah, I know that. But, but I want us to really think about, well, what falls under that so we can see maybe maybe there are areas that we're guilty that we're not even aware of our guilt, like gossip that would fall under lying, slander, rumors, false impressions about yourself. Flattery. These are all areas in which we ultimately are lying. And so I want us to look at a couple of these and kind of think about that. And hopefully if, if this is something that you're doing that, you know, God would help you to change. You know, if you've been involved in church for any period of time, you've discovered something that's quite clear. There are many Christians who struggle with gossip. Gossip's a pretty big problem within the church world. Gossip is basically take, talking about other people's lives without a desire for that person's well-being or good, and it's usually malicious. So when you're speaking about these people, you have no desire to pray for them. You have no desire to help them. You're not sharing this information for their benefit, for their good. You are just speaking about them and what they're doing for a malicious, ill-will intent. You're angry with them. You're bitter over something they've done against you. And you ultimately are repeating these things. And it is gossip. And two things that often are mixed with gossip is slander and rumors. Those three kind of go hand in hand. Typically, when you hear gossip, you'll hear slander within what's being said, and you also hear rumors that are shared with that. Alan Redpath wrote this about slander. Slander is a lie invented and spread with intent to do harm. That is the worst form of injury a person can do to another. Compared to one who does this, a gangster is a gentleman and a murderer is kind. Because he ends life in a moment with a stroke and with a little pain. But the man guilty of slander ruins a reputation which may never be regained and causes lifelong suffering. Now, slander is one of the worst types of lies there is because it's specifically designed to do harm. Specifically designed to destroy another person's life. And slander typically destroys someone's reputation. And oftentimes that reputation can never be regained, can't get back to the way that it was before these lies of slander were spoken against it. 
You know, when I was in high school, and this is probably not a story just that I was connected with or heard of, I'm sure in, in many of the high schools, you probably had something similar take place. But, you know, there was a guy on the football team that said that he and many of the other football players had sex with this girl in the school. And then all of a sudden, you know, she was labeled as a slut. And this was my freshman year and she was a freshman. And so all four years of high school, that's how people saw her. That was the label that was given to her. That's how people referred to her and looked upon her. And I remember my senior year, it finally came out that this guy tried to sleep with this girl. She said no to him. And so to get back at her, he said he and all these other guys slept with her, which wasn't really true. But at that point in time, it was kind of the damage had been done. For four years now, she'd been slandered. She'd been seen in a way that wasn't true. She'd been spoke of uh, in this way that wasn't accurate. And it kind of ruined her life. But that is what slander is. It's that, you know, intention to spread uh, uh, something that is harmful to destroy someone's life. And usually slander is in response to being hurt. You're hurt, you're angry, you're bitter, you're upset with someone, and now I'm going to share some things that aren't true about you to hurt you. So instead of physically fighting, I'm going to fight with words. And oftentimes you see this maybe sometimes a little more with women than men. Usually men get upset with each other and they're just going to physically fight it out. But oftentimes with girls, it's like, you know, I'm not going to physically fight you, but I'll fight you in maybe an even more vicious way through the things that I say about you. And the results can be devastating. And I'm not saying that men are not guilty of this. They do this as well. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it and a flattering mouth works ruin. Gossip, it usually includes slander, but something else it often includes as well is rumor. Rumor is repeating an unverified report about a person without careful investigation and finding out whether or not this is true, whether it's a lie or truth. I'm sure all of us have been guilty of spreading a rumor. We hear something and we just regurgitate it to someone else and we haven't taken the time to find out, is this accurate about that person? Is this true? Did this really happen? We just hear it. It's like, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? And And boom, we just spread the rumor. We just continue, you know, sharing these things. We repeat that story, which often brings discredit or dishonor to another person without making sure of the facts. I've definitely been guilty of this. I remember this kind of happened in a place that I wouldn't have thought it would have. When I was in Bible college, a rumor started to spread that one of the teachers was asked to step down because he committed adultery. I heard this was disheartened. Other people heard this and were disheartened. So what did we do? Man, did you hear about so-and-so? They were asked to step down because they committed adultery. And that spread through the whole campus quite quickly. Everyone was repeating this rumor. And it was only in a matter of days that the Bible college director, you know, during our time when all the campus was together, he rebukes us first, rightly so, and tells us the real reason why the person who stepped down wasn't removed, because he and his family were going to be missionaries in Brazil. I don't know how it started that someone thought that he committed adultery. It was completely wrong. The only reason he was doing this to do the work of the Lord And now all these people are thinking, here's this adulterer, he doesn't belong here, he was still on campus, people are giving him dirty looks, why they would allow him here? And, you know, people are starting to try to justify, well, I thought it was true, or, you know, I was just concerned. But the reality is, you know, there was no justification, it was a rumor that we should have found out about, and even if we found out it was true, 
What good was it to spread it around? I mean, if we really thought, okay, this guy did this, let's pray for him. Let's pray for his family. What's the point of talking about it with a bunch of people? That's not going to benefit the situation either. But we're all guilty of just spreading a rumor that we didn't take the time to actually find out the truth about, and it caused problems. Gossip, slander, rumors, they're, they're quite destructive. and We need to be very careful not to do them. Now, sometimes our lies are, are a little more subtle. I mean, gossip, slander, rumors, those are kind of more, you know, out there. It's often very clear. You know what you're doing. You're purposely doing it. But sometimes we lie in a more subtle way, like flattery. Flattery is when people pay compliments that you don't really mean. And it's typically in order to gain some kind of favor, in order to get something from someone else. And you see this, kids learn this real quick. You know, I'm sure as children, you did this. I know my kids do this. I'm, you know, most kids do this. They, they, they realize, you know what, if I will flatter mom or I'll flatter dad, they're much more likely to give me what I want. And my sister was the master at this with my dad. And so if my brother and I wanted anything, if we came to my dad for it, typically, nope. All right. We go to my sister and she'd come, oh, daddy, you're the most handsome man in the world. Oh, I love you so much. And she'd just build him up with all this stuff. And then, can I have $20? Oh, sure, dear. How about take 100 You know, I mean, she, she was a master at this flattery, which was just manipulative. She wasn't meaning these things. She was just saying these things in order to get what she wanted. And, you know, it's a lie. Uh, and so we need to be aware that this breaks the ninth commandment. We shouldn't do this as well. Now, we've been focusing on lies that we share about others, but you know what? We also share lies about ourselves. And this is one that we sometimes don't even typically think about as, as lying. Well, well, yeah, if I lie about you, that's a lie. But if I, if I lie about me, well, that's a little bit of a different story because we are often guilty of creating a false impression about ourselves, trying to get people to believe something about us that we know is not true. Well, what is that? It's a lie. Yeah, I mean, social media is just rampant with this. I mean, you see so much of what people are trying to portray themselves as, and they know that's completely false compared to what I really am. But I don't want people to see what I really am. I want them to see this image of me. Some people actually even have pictures of other people on their site pretending to be them because they're more attractive or whatever. But, you know, we have this desire to be seen as something that we're not. And in the church... One of the biggest areas where this is a problem is wanting to be seen as more spiritual than we really are. And so we lie about ourselves. This is one of the biggest things that Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of in his day about their hypocrisy. Because they wanted to be seen for something that they weren't. That they wanted to be seen as these spiritual giants when the reality was they were far from God. And I think as Christians, this is something that we can often struggle with and ultimately maybe sometimes even lie to ourselves that we're something that we're not. I know I have been guilty of this in my Christian life of wanting to be seen as more spiritual than I really was. I created a false impression of, of what I was. I wasn't willing to open up when I had people who would, you know, how are you doing? What's really going on in your life? Oh, I'm doing great. I got no issues. I got no shit. I'm so spiritual. No, I got lots of problems. I just don't want to say them because I don't want you to see me for what I am. I want you to see what I'm trying to portray myself to be. And that's ultimately just a lie. I'm, I'm pretending to be something that I'm not. One other way we break this nine com ninth commandment is that we don't, we don't often think about it as but um, being silent. 
You know, oftentimes we hear someone spread a lie. Maybe it's of a family member, a friend, someone that you know well, and you know that's not true. And instead of standing up and saying, no, no, that's not true. They didn't do that. They didn't say that. That's not the way that they are. We stay silent. And in staying silent, there's a problem with that. You know, that's just, you know, in some regards, you know, almost as bad as spreading the lie ourselves. We could stop it. We could be there to say, no, that's not right. That's not true. But yet staying silent is quite a problem. James 4.17 says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And notice that. If you know the good that you should do and you choose not to do that good, that's sin as well. Sometimes we just look at sin as like, well, I didn't break the Ten Commandments, that's fine. But, but what about the good that God, that you knew you were supposed to do and you chose not to? Like the good of standing up for that person that you know is being defamed, that you know is being gossiped and slandered about, and it's not true. Well, I know I should stand up for them. I know I should say that's not right. I know I should say, I know this situation and I know what's happened here, and that's not accurate. But being silent is part of the problem, not the solution. Alan Redpath wrote a great thing about how we use our words. How very strange that we have ever come to think that Christian maturity is shown by the ability to speak our minds, whereas it is really expressed in controlling our tongues. And I've seen this so much with Christians. Well, I am so mature spiritually, I'm just going to speak my mind and just tell you all the horrible things I think about you, whatever it may be, when real maturity is learning how to bite your tongue, how to actually not speak when you don't have anything nice to say, controlling your words. So the real core of this ninth commandment is having control over our tongue to speak truth and love. You know, James tells us how vicious our tongues can be. It's something that can cause really big problems. Proverbs 21, 23 gives us a great encouragement. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. A great bit of wisdom. If you're willing to guard the words that come at your mouth, guess what? You are going to protect yourself from a lot of trouble. I'm sure all of us have you know, experienced the trouble that comes from words that once they go out, oh, you can't pull them back. Once they're spoken, the trouble's coming. And that's the issue there. You know, there's no bringing them back. I mean, obviously you can apologize for them, but the damage is there. I mean, even in marriage, you know, that there are certain things that you, know, you can say and that you can try to bring back. Like, well, I wish I never married you. Well, that's one that you're never getting back. You know, if that comes out of your mouth, no matter how much you apologize for that, that person that you married is always going to have that in their mind that, you know what, you wish you never married me. There are things that we can say that are just very harsh and hard to get back. And so we got to be on guard with our words. So this command to not bear false witness, it covers a lot of things that maybe typically we don't often think of, like lies and gossip and slander and rumors and false impressions and flattery and, and being silent. But God wants us to speak truth in a loving way and not to lie. Well, now we finish the Ten Commandments with the final commandment that God gives in verse 17. He says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. So the final command 
is you shall not covet. Now, as we've noted, these first nine commandments, many of them, we see not only the outward action, but also the heart issue, like lust, you know, adultery. You have the outward action, but you also have, you know, the lust in the heart. Murder. You have the outward action of taking someone's life, but you also have the heart issue of being angry to them. But here, covetousness is really just an issue of the heart. And because of that, this is the one that we can hide the best. You know, of all the other ones, it's kind of hard to hide a lot of them because they are outward, they are seen, that's obvious. But this is one of those where we can typically do a better job of disguising it, of hiding it, being guilty of it, but people not knowing that we are as guilty of it as we are. The Hebrew word here translated covet means to greatly desire to possess something that belongs to someone else to pant after it. So covetousness is the great desire to possess something that doesn't belong to you. It's something that it belongs to someone else, but you want it. And, and that's the, that desire to have what doesn't belong to you is covetousness. And it can be expressed in, in all sorts of things. You can express it by wanting someone else's spouse, wanting their house, wanting their car, wanting their career, wanting their life, wanting any possession that they have, basically anything that someone else has. And God says, don't covet anything. You know, he gives a list. He throws out, you know, their husband, their wife, their manservant, their female servant. And he just kind of says, you know what? And let me just sum it up with anything that isn't yours, that someone else has. Do not covet that. Don't desire to have what is not yours. David Guzik wrote this about the digression of covetousness. Covetousness works like this. The eye looks upon an object, the mind admires it, the will goes over to it, and the body moves in to possess it. Just because you have not taken the final step does not mean you are not in the process of coveting right now. Covetousness is one of the most dangerous sins because it ultimately leads to breaking many of the other nine commandments. For example, adultery usually happens because you covet. I'm not satisfied with the spouse that I have. I'm coveting the one that you have, or I'm coveting this other person that, that I want. And so it kind of starts with that. I, I want what I don't have. I'm going to start pursuing what I don't have. And it's going to end with me actually sleeping with this person. Stealing usually happens because you covet. I want that. I want it so much that I'm willing to take it. And I'm willing to suffer maybe the possible consequences of taking that. But, but, but I, I want it. I know it's not mine, but, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get it. It comes because of that covetousness. You know, if you put another God in your life, it's because you're coveting. Uh, I want another God beyond this God or different than this God. I, I want something else to serve. I, I want something else to worship. I, I think that that's going to be more satisfying. That's going to be more beneficial to my life. It comes from that covetousness. So this heart issue of coveting is at the root of a lot of the sins that we commit. And all of us are guilty of coveting. All of us have desires for things that are not ours that we often act upon. But you know what coveting reveals about us? It reveals something very important. We're not content with what we have. That's kind of at the heart of coveting. If you're content with what you have, guess what? You're not going to be seeking to get something else. It's the lack of contentment 
that brings us to the place of jealousy. I'm not content with what I have. Oh man, look what they have. Oh, look at their house and look what I have. You know, oh, look at their car. Look what I got to drive. Look at their job. Look where I got to go every week. You know, look at their spouse. Look at mine or whatever it may be that there's this reality that I'm not content with my life or things that I have in it. The opposite of covetousness is contentment. And that is what God wants from us. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus says in Luke 12.15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Think of this, the covenant heart wants more and more and more. And the Bible says, you know what, just be content with what you already have. And Jesus shares something here that I think is just so eye-opening that our culture here in America has not believed in any way, shape, or form. Notice what he says, take heed and beware of covetousness. And he gives a reason why. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That's pretty much what our world tells us every day. Your life consists in the abundance of the things you possess. I mean, that's what advertisements are all about. I mean, this is what's going to make you who you are. You need this. I mean, this is going to define who you are. I mean, you driving this is going to determine your true success versus driving that and, and having this and that. And, you know, we're totally being fed this lie that our life does consist in the abundance of the things that we possess. And if we don't get that possession, man, we're missing out. If we don't have what all these other people have, then whew, how can we go on? And, you know, it's interesting to me of just the, the feed your greed mindset that advertising does because they come out with this new product and they share how amazing it is, whether it be a phone or, or a computer or a tablet or, or anything Oh, this is so great. You have to have this. And then six months from now, they're going to come out with a new one. Oh, look at the upgrades. Look at how much better it is. Yeah, you don't need that old one anymore. Now you got to have the new one. I mean, this is really what's necessary for you to actually be content and fulfilled and, and to have what's, you know, and we just keep buying into the lie. Oh, yeah, I need the new thing. There's an interesting quote from Fight Club which isn't really the best movie to watch, but the quote's good. <laughs> we buy those things that we don't need with money we don't have trying to impress people we don't like. I think that sums up our culture so well. We buy those things we don't need with money we don't have trying to impress people we don't like. I mean, how sad that is and how true that is of our culture. Of We're convinced that we need things that we don't. We purchase it with money we don't have. And oftentimes we're trying to impress people we don't like to begin with. And it's just a, it's a sad cycle of discontentment and covetousness. Paul gives an encouragement about how to deal with this in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 9. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. 
And I think it's interesting when you kind of compare what society says versus what God's word says, because society will tell us, you know what? Hey, great gain comes from this desire to be rich and the desire to get all this stuff. And then hopefully you'll accumulate it and then you'll have true great gain. But notice the word of God doesn't say that. It says the exact opposite. Great gain comes from godliness with contentment. Godliness with a contentment of, hey, you know what? What I have is, is it's fine. I don't need more than this. I got the Lord and whatever he provides for me is perfect for my life. And notice what it says. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts. Sometimes we think, oh, those who are rich, well, they have all the problems. Well, notice it doesn't say those who are rich. It says those who desire to be rich. So, so for all of us poor people, we can fall into this as well because the rich are oftentimes not desiring to be rich. They already got it. It's those of us who are poor who are desiring that, that ultimately it's a temptation and a snare and it leads to many foolish and harmful lusts. Why? Because it brings this covetous, discontent mindset. But man, oh, I want that. Oh, I wish I could have that. Oh, man, if I just had, you know, this house or that car or this life or this thing or whatever. And it starts to mess with our life. We need to be very careful not to get sucked in to the mindset that is so pushed onto us every single day here in this culture, which materialism is so rampant. And there's this, you know, it's hard. To escape, it's hard to step back and just truly be, you know what, I'm just content with what I got. Even though this world is constantly telling me I shouldn't be, I'm going to be. With each one of these things, you know, the reality is I don't have the capacity to do it. You don't have the capacity to do it. But through the strength that God gives, we can. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, we need to recognize it's possible to fulfill God's commands because he is the one who enables us to do it. But when we look at this list, I mean, it's pretty overwhelming. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image of anything to worship. Don't take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. It's hard, but yet God can enable us to do it. And as we've gone through this list and you look and feel, okay, yeah, I've fallen short here. I've really blown it there. You know, I'm definitely guilty here. The great thing is God says, you know, what? I'm willing to forgive that. And I'm willing to help you not to continue that in the future. Not to just be like, well, that's just me. You know, I'm the thief or I'm the gossip or I'm whatever. No, God doesn't want you to stay in that place. He wants to change you. He wants to help you to grow. And even if you fall back into that again, he's going to forgive you and help give you the strength to overcome that because he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it until he comes to get us again or we die and go be with him. But just trusting that, hey, God wants to change us. He can give us what we need to overcome this. And as we go through this list as well, this is why when the word speaks of the law as our tutor, to point us to Jesus and to help us see our need for him because we look at this and say, guilty, 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 guilty. I mean, that's, it just cries out to us because we're so guilty of breaking these commandments. And that's why it's so great that Jesus was the only one who kept them and paid for all the times that we broke them. But, you know, as we've mentioned several times, we don't do these to be saved. 
We don't do these so God will love us. He already loves us and he's already saved us because we have a relationship with Jesus. We do this in obedience out of love to him. Hey, because of what you've done, because I have a relationship with you, I want to know how you want me to live my life. This is it. Great. I want to do this. But also we do this believing the truth that this is best. The world lies and says, no, 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 no. This isn't the best. The best is commit adultery. The best is take what's not yours. The best is, you know, you know, do these other things. Don't be content with it. That's what's best. God says, no, you want what's best for you. Do this. This list is what will make your life most enjoyable because I created you and I know what's best for you. You do this. You're going to save yourself from a lot of heartache, a lot of devastation, a lot of pain that is associated with the sins that are committed when you don't do these things and your life's going to be so much better. So we do it in love for the Lord. We do it trusting that this is what's best for us. And ultimately, you start to discover that. You start to realize, wow, when I do this, it benefits me in such great ways. And when I break this, man, life's not so good. Consequences are bad. God's word is true. What he says is true. Even though the world says one thing, you can learn by experience. Better to learn when you study than have to learn through all your failures. But either way, you come to the realization that doing this is not good. It's not healthy, not only for you, but as a culture. I mean, I just can't fathom what our country would be like if everybody did this. <laughs> Imagine that. I mean, hey, I don't have to worry about anyone trying to steal anything that's mine. You know, no one steals here. You don't have to worry about anyone trying to hurt me or my family. You know, no one does that. I don't have to worry about people lying about me. I mean, what an amazing place to be if that was actually transpiring, which it never will in this life. But that's one of the things that's going to make heaven so spectacular. So what are your thoughts? Obviously... The three final, stealing, false witness, coveting, but um, just the Ten Commandments as a whole and, and what we've looked at.